Hello there. What you're about to listen to is something we've put together exclusively for our Patreon subscribers, the patrons of everything. A mini-sode where Sam and I get to talk about some things we didn't get a chance to cover in the full episode. Join us and come and spy on Samantha and I as we delve a little deeper into everything and drink too much coffee around our kitchen table. Following this, all our mini-sodes will be exclusive for the patrons of everything. To everyone who's already joined our patrons, thank you so much. Your support means the world to us. Well, let's get to it. Hope you enjoy our second mini-sode, a bit extra on video gaming. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Music in Something, uh, the Music in Everything spin-off in which Sam and I uh, discuss the things that we might have missed in previous episodes, or things that we just want to talk about anyway with all of you. So welcome back and hello. Hello. I wasn't talking to you. Oh, sorry. Hello. <laughs> I was talking to you that time. Oh, hello. <laughs> so this time uh, we're talking about our video game episode because video gaming is the kind of topic that uh, we didn't even get started. <laughs> it felt like we, there's so much more to talk about. And we certainly had a few things that we had on our notes in front of us and um, wanted to share. And uh, now is the time to do it. That is the now literal is point the of this. That is the premise. That is the whole idea of this that episode. That has been established. <laughs> um, so, Samantha. Yes. There's something in particular that you wanted to talk about. Uh, and I believe that it was. Mm. Let's see if he gets this right. <laughs> uh, the video gaming culture. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think it's an important aspect which we... Did not have time to discuss because I think that episode ended up being like a century long, um, a whole century. It's, no one's going to be able to finish it. Um, but I think it's an important thing to discuss. It's not necessarily always a positive story either. And that's 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 an important thing to sort of um, approach. And it's important that we sort of engage with that. So I think video gaming culture and there's a little bit of like psychology of video games that kind mm. of plays into this because um, – there are, there are these sort of like sort of myths or like untruths that people have around the relationship between video games and psychological development that so we are also going to unpack a little bit as well. So it's not an entirely negative story as well. There. No, no, no. It, it has negative attributes. It has negative elements. Like all sort of like communities cannot necessarily have these sort of like um, totally open sort of mentalities or there's people yeah. in there that perhaps are a bit more closed off. But there are also positive attributes about being a part of a community like this. And I think we discussed a little bit of that in the episode with the way that streaming and Twitch and stuff like that allows people to form these kind of online communities around yeah. gaming. But there's also some bad things. Yeah, I definitely am glad we're like kind of acknowledging the positive things as well because um, not only is that the premise of the podcast that this is uh, attached to, but yes. um, also the fact that the one gamer in uh, this podcast is not currently here. No. Um, uh, and so I feel kind of bad if it's the two of us just to basically who don't play games just sitting there going like, bloody well, gaming culture's gone. It's so toxic. I play games. I have on occasion been known to play Civilization. Yeah. And I yeah. once played Stardew Valley. I once have played The Curse of Monkey Island from 1997. A classic. Okay, so let's kind of dive into it. Let's start perhaps, I'm wondering if we should do like shit sandwich style <laughs> or I'm trying to honestly, a shit sandwich by the way is like neg positive, negative, positive. Kiss, thing. kill, kiss yeah. is the general term. I think that's actually a bit gross. I think I prefer shit sandwich. Shit sandwich. Um, I think that's the approach we should take because I do think that there's overwhelmingly more positive than negative. Yeah. yeah. Well, because the thing I was going to say straight up was that um, the video games 
that's like a, it's one of those things like Dungeons and Dragons where it's like had moral panics in every era of its existence. Oh my gosh, yes. So it's, so it's like it's had like negative press. Yes. And, uh, and also genuine problems for its entire existence yeah. that have kind of dominated the way people who don't participate in the community think of it. Yeah, and I think that's a really good place to start actually is talking about sort of like external perceptions of the gaming community. And mm. I think the first place that I think a lot of uh, these conversations go is around violent video gaming and sort of like adolescence and violent video gaming and violence in general, which is like essentially it's a myth. It's not kind of based in psychology. It's not rooted in science. There is no connection between a young person playing violent video games and then becoming more violent. That's yeah. not a thing that happens. In fact, what you find is mm. um, because of the level of, and this is a really important aspect of playing video games, is there's these cognitive processes that are being triggered and like being developed and strengthened through the process of playing video games. Yeah. So it's important to understand when we're talking about this. So the way that you learn new skills and the way your brain kind of connects neural pathways requires strengthening. Um, and so the neural sheaths between your neurons can get can get thicker. They literally grow like a muscle so that more, more energy, more elect electrical activity can pass between them. Playing video games does this for special awareness, for problem solving, yeah. for especially if you're playing something like an MMRPG, which is like a massive multiplayer role-playing game mm. where you're working in a team and maybe you've got sort of like the headset on and you're talking to as a team and you're dealing with a problem as a group that engages collaborative problem solving versus individual problem solving. There's so many cognitive processes that are really enhanced and developed by these games, which yeah. I think is we don't talk about enough. It's not, And it's not just that. So obviously there's all of these sort of like spatial awareness things that happen and but there's also like mind body stuff that happens. It's like the process of I don't know if you've ever picked up a console that you've never like a what's it called? What's controller? The, controller. Yeah. <laughs> See, such a gamer girl. <laughs> it was su such a gamer. <laughs> oh my god. It's embarrassing. Me. Yeah. So you pick up a controller of a of a of a platform of a console you've never played before. It takes a little bit for you to get used to those mechanics. As we discussed in the video gaming episode, obviously all the consoles are very different from each other because they are owned by different companies and they didn't they wanted those distinct features. So I'm not actually sure we went into this, but the controllers themselves are so fundamentally different that you can't translate between them. Like sort of in terms of uh, muscle memory. And yeah, in terms of like just simply where the letters are. Yeah. On the, so like I'm assuming people who are listening know what a Con like a controller looks like. I don't know if I should assume that. Probably a lot more than but it's we like, do. Yeah, there's, there's like the toggle. There's like the directional, like up, down, left, right, yeah. and then there's the A, B, X, Y. If you're yeah, for Xbox. For Xbox, and then it's A, B. What are you doing? Why are you doing this yourself? What are you talking about? The, and the PlayStation ones have the shapes. Oh, it's the shapes. You're right. It's the shapes. <laughs> I'm such a gamer. Um, so those things don't translate between them. But what that means is if you're somebody that plays multiple different consoles, you have the capacity to sort of like mentally shift between those different sort of like like physical processes. And there's like there's like the double-handed sort of ambidextrous cognitive processing that needs or to happen. Or the triple-handed for the Nintendo 64. Oh, my God, um, don't even. 
We, I don't even <laughs> have think, a third person come in for the middle. <laughs> I just don't think we have time to go into the 64 and the insanity that was the decision around that. It's the most successful piece of shit of all time. <laughs> but like, it's one of those funny things. And like, we, we already, I know we already discussed this, but it's just absolutely wild that it's like, they decided to not only not change their cartridges, but also have the most ridiculous controller of all time. And still to this day, it is kind of a known um, con- uh, known console. So I want to bring us back to this violent video games and adolescent boys thing. Yes. Which is, that's a very specific combo. Um, so there's obviously, because this has been a sort of moral panic sort of concern since forever. Like I'm, I kind of find this amusing because it's like people think about video games of the seventies when it's just like space invaders and Pong and it's just like, it's going to turn them violent and evil. It's like, okay, you haven't even seen COD yet. Like, <laughs> What the hell are you talking about? GTA um, is not out yet. Yeah, Christ, yeah. GTA, better example. Um, That's yeah, Grand like, so, Theft Auto for people who don't know what GTA <laughs> is. <laughs> um, yeah, if you're like me. Um, so I know I know what GTA is. I'm, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so some of the research does actually suggest some negative things. So like in terms of like playing a violent game, like you can become desensitized to other people's pain, but very temporarily. So it's almost like a numbing effect happens. That's because like your brain's going, I'm looking at realistic body violence for an hour with my friends. <laughs> and then afterwards your brain's like, cool, I'm in the zone of that being a stimulus that yeah. I'm receiving and having no effect. And so obviously these experiments like showed people be hurt or something. <laughs> I don't know how that's ethically yeah. okay. But <laughs> um, regardless, like they, they said that, oh, well, um, they were slightly desensitized. But it was really temporary. And I was thinking... That's kind of like, you know, when you leave a movie, like you've watched a horror movie or something and you're just kind of numb for a while. Like even just any movie and you come out of a cinema and you're like... You're sort of in a weird haze. You're in a weird yeah. haze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like, you've also cognitively sort of gone through this process of like accepting the premise mm. of a video game. And I think that's another cognitive thing that we don't talk about is the fact that in order to sort of engage in the premise of something even as simple as civilization. You sort of have to go, I am a civilization, I'm building my empire, and you sort of have to, like, buy into the narrative a little bit. So, of course, you're going to be a little bit desensitized to it because you've sort of immersed yourself in something and it's going to take you a while to kind of come out of that. Um, yeah, so, and, of course, like, other researchers found this, like, that, you know, it actually might help with boys recognizing other people's emotions and having control over their own emotions and control over their stress and over violence as well. So it's actually like evidence that it's contrary to what people keep saying about violent video games and young boys. And of course, like they, a lot of these like studies, they often have um, young girls, like adolescent girls, teenage girls um, play the stuff and um, it doesn't have the same effect but that's because usually they're frustrated by the game itself. And that's usually, and this says a lot though, because that's because there's a culture around playing those kinds of games with young boys that makes it a different experience if you're not a part of that. Yeah. And so that's why a lot of these researchers are sort of pointing to, well, if there is toxicity, there is clearly toxicity in young male game stuff, gaming culture. Um, well, that's to do with not the games, but the anti-social stuff that's surrounding the games of the teenagers learning to play right. um, GTA. Yeah. I think that's really fascinating as well because one of the things that, you know, is kind of prevalent in sort of maintaining this very male, which we talked about a bit, this very male 
idea about gaming. And like, it's very interesting that these studies are on teenage boys, yeah. not teenage girls, because we have this association with gaming being a very masculine thing, very male dominated space. And obviously there's lots of studies to try and figure out why this is such a male dominated space. And as you've already alluded to, there are toxicities in the fact that this community is very male dominated um, and very isolating in the mm. sense that it's not something where you have to go to a place to play with people. It's something you can do in your own house. You don't have to go and engage with other people in a very like kind of connective way. And so what this has an impact on is it sort of creates this idea, and this is where we're getting into the negative stuff a little bit. So there's this kind of broad scale like association between the game, who a gamer is and men. And this is not just from a general sense of who they're playing with, but it's also it's also founded in the who are the play who are the characters you can play, and this is a big a a element of the studies of the fact that I think it was eighty six percent of main characters in video games are male, with only fifteen percent of them being women, mm. and they're male in a sense that it's you are a male character, which means you can't actually access any sort of female presenting sort of. Uh, outfits or accessories or anything. It's, it's, it's a very rigid structure around that. Um, there's some games coming out now where you can play as a man, but also wear whatever, all the clothes are available to you, all the accessories, whatever you want to do, which is great. So they're overwhelmingly male. They're overwhelmingly white yeah. as well. There was a really interesting study that came out around the primary characters of video games. I can't remember what years they were, like what, what time period they were looking at of the games that came out but they found that 85% of the characters, main characters were white, 10% of them were black, four were biracial, and only 2% were Asian. So this is going to have a reinforcing effect on not just who plays games, but like who is the game for? Who is the game yeah. targeting? Because there's a lot to be said about an, a, a sort of a recognition and an association with uh, the player mm. to the character. And this is the same that can be said for film and TV as well. Like there's a lot of psychological, especially in adolescence, there's a lot of that sort of conforming, like I see myself in this main character, therefore I'm interested in this project. But what that does ultimately is it creates this connected sort of, what they call geek masculinity. Yeah. Which is a really big aspect of this that plays into this toxicity. Because essentially what that means is women are perceived as a threat to their space of mm. dominance and that's how you get these really negative sort of like very sexist communities that are very gatekeeping towards women who are just trying to play games. And we mentioned already in the episode that casual gaming is overwhelmingly dominated by women. Yeah, This is not just because women like playing casual games, it's because also that's kind of the only space where they can play games. To put it another way, those other spaces are like being a kind of exclusive. They're hostile. Yeah, hostile. Yeah. yeah, and I think that... So that kind of does play into the idea that like if the, not not just the violence of the video games, but the characters within the video games, the interactions you're having within the video games are kind of aligned with you. Anything that's different from that is going to be really difficult for you to sort of approach. And there was obviously these really horrendous examples, which we're not going to get into, of this sort of geek masculinity becoming very, very dangerous yeah well like gamergate yes example, we're not the, and we're not gonna I don't want to talk about gamergate. we're not gonna talk about it in too much detail but it was a really 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 big controversy controversy so i think what's really shocking about those statistics with the um the amount of like male characters and stuff is it is really kind of out of step like 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's a really strong contrast between who's playing the games and the kind of person who's meant to be playing the games, like the uh, the person who matches the character. And um, like that's because you know it's not like it was in the eighties and nineties. Like in our countries, like ours, like we're approaching like 50-50. Yeah, it's it's pretty much 50-50 of gamers. gamers. Like, which, which is really, really, really cool. Yeah. Because, you know, I am not necessarily a gamer. I didn't come into gaming as a thing that was available really or an option culturally, socially for me to play. So it's really cool to see that there are so many women out there playing games because they are fun and they are yeah. good. Um, and I think that that's an element, like talking about that kind of like gender parity in these kind of sports these sort of uh, cultures, one of the studies that I read said that part of that might actually be influenced by when boys and girls are starting to play. So because boys start playing earlier, because it becomes sort of an activity the boys that the young kind of young men do together, they're starting earlier. So it's kind of becoming more ingrained in their psychology, whereas girls often yeah. start later because it's not the kind of behaviour appropriate, I'm doing quote marks here, appropriate behaviour for women. Yeah, and like what, and as well as it's just like the boys starting earlier, like on a wholesome level, like that's kind of like um, building this nostalgic, yeah, like social building blocks, <laughs> like yeah, of like their expectations of it, um, which is actually can be toxic, but it can also be very sweet. Um, yeah, and they also found that boys actually preferred playing for longer, and they preferred playing more large scale role playing games. This this study was of American teens. Yeah, see, it's really hard to like. This is sort of. Uh, snake eating its tail yes. logic to this, isn't it? Because it's like, yeah, we can see that uh, young men and like and you know older men like will enjoy uh, these kinds of games, like action games and games that involve a lot of skill and competition and uh, large scale role playing games. And women will uh, generally like casual games and yeah, smaller scale role playing games. games. And yes. farming games. And it's just like these generalizations. It's just like yeah, but how much is that because? one of those games is literally being designed for a culture that already exists. Yes, yes. And that a lot of, as you said, young women who are kind of entering the gaming space are not, um, they're not like attracted to that other, even if it's not a hostile space. Yeah, it's just not something. One, it's not very attractive because yeah. it's really male, male dominant and very male gendered. Yeah, no, I, I it's think. It's kind of a snake eating its tail. I think the other thing too, and like I don't like to get into these dichotomies when it comes to like sort of innate behaviours, boys versus girls. I, do, I don't think that there is anything really fundamentally to that because it's all uncultured and obviously it's all socialised. But they also found that um, the reason, and this is this is from a self-reported study, so these kids are asked lots of questions and they use that the, their answers to kind of create these um associations and sort of general conclusions. We know that these sorts of studies are not necessarily going to be giving us any sort of correlation between sort of the questions and the answers. They might, they can't be designed in a foolproof way like that. Yeah, but they can give you sort of a descriptive sense of where yeah. these thoughts are coming from. So the thing that when they were trying to get a sense of how perhaps video gaming served as a social function or like what function it served in their lives, understanding that this is an activity they engage in. So it has to be you know, in some way kind of contributing to something. The girls overwhelmingly kind of described playing games as kind of around relationship maintenance. It was about kind of connection with others and you were doing it to kind of like maintain a relationship. Gathered around, around SingStar on the oh, yeah. pink PS2 that you had. <laughs> Compact pink PS2, <laughs> hell yeah. And 
um, the boys played games which were more complex and competitive. And then I mm. have this, I love this. I do put these like little kind of my thought notes in these notes, which is why they're so rich and interesting. I put here, is this just peer pressure or cultural expectation <laughs> or is this psychology? Yeah. And I think that it's, I think it's, I think it's peer pressure and cultural. Well, it, this is the problem. Like you can never find the cause of these things. We yeah. can only just sort of have a stab. Especially because adolescent boys and adolescent girls are engaging psychologically in a difference game, and right? Also, they're, yeah. they're defining themselves yeah. as separate from the other. This is this is the time period where they actually have, and this is psychologically backed up. Yeah. This is the time period where they're actually focusing a lot more on what's different about the other yeah. groups rather than what's the same about the other group. And the other group yeah. being boys or girls. Yeah, it's differentiation. Yeah, yeah and so- of course, they're going to then be, defi- they're almost going to be defining themselves against the other group. Yeah, and like, keep in mind, like, I, I probably want to add here that like, I don't think either of us are saying that gender differences in gaming are necessarily bad. It's just like, what no. we're talking about is the origins of, of like hostile cultures and yes. stuff. Yeah, because there's nothing, absolutely no problem with like, I don't think we can deny that like, like maybe like the farming games or SingStar on a Pink PS2 is feminine or is like soft masculine or something. I don't yeah. think we can deny that. No, like, and I, because, and, and, and that like, COD is <laughs> like an Assassin's Creed is a very masculine form of yeah, gameplay. I don't I think suppose, there's anything wrong with that distinction. No, and I suppose the point that I'm trying to get to is that they're all gaming. Yeah. And what this ends up becoming is a discussion between us specifically, like, and this is the thing they found with adolescent boys in particular, this idea of real gaming versus fake gaming. I don't know yeah. what the distinction was, but the idea that the games that they play are the real games yeah. and the little girly games that the girls play are not real gaming yeah. because they need, they're kind of latching onto this identity because community, especially this idea of identity when you're in your teens is so important and integral and you grasp for it. I remember, you remember being a teenager, it's all about your similarity with your peers yeah. as, a, as a function of your difference from others. Yeah. It is that total mentality is so important. And so gaming provides them a community, but it also gives them an other. Mm, yeah. Which is kind of the, I suppose, the thing that I, I kind of want to see being broken down, the idea that you can play Stardew Valley yeah. and that can be gaming and that's yeah. fine. And wh- whether or not of your masculine or feminine identity or gaming habits, you can play any of them. Um, yeah. It's a game. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what the hell are we talking about here? Yeah. <laughs> and so I just want to note on the positive for adolescent boys, gaming was an avenue for these boys, and these are several studies that I read, it was all, it gave these these boys an avenue to communicate their thoughts, feelings, and worries through gameplay. Mm. So they had an in a play like context, and it meant that they could connect with their peers, they could connect, connect with distant relatives, reconnect with people they haven't seen in a while, and sort of it was a space in which they felt that they could actually express themselves. Mm. And that's not something we should be minimizing. I think that that's yeah. so important. And you can see the appeal, like, you know, like there's a sort of masculine stereotype of like how men um, sort of socialize where it's just like one face-to-face communication is for two, way too intimate. We can't be doing that. No, no, Better no. Better be side by side, drinking side by side, right angles, urinal conversation essentially is the metaphor. Yeah. And then like, you know, yeah, sitting side by side on the couch when you're 15 and yeah, chatting COD. about something in a frustrated way. You can see why a lot of young men would find that a very comforting environment. Yeah, and so- this sort of leads back to the idea that like gaming as a whole has really, really positive sort of psychological impacts. It actually allows sort of positive social engagements in, in, in groups of people that perhaps wouldn't necessarily have them. So 
It allows young boys to communicate their feelings and have a space where they feel they, they can be themselves as well, a sense of they can relax and just be who they are. Yeah. Um, it also allows for a stronger relationship building because they're having to sort of solve problems and they're having to see things from other people's perspectives. And it also, you know, kind of counter this, some of my studies have demonstrated that it actually enhances sympathy. But yeah. not necessarily for the characters who you're, but for your teammates. Like if yeah. you're playing sort of like um, MM, I can never remember this, <laughs> massive multiplayer online role-playing games. M M O R. You know what? Never mind. You really don't play games, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I play Stardew Valley. Um, so within teams, because you play as a team, it created sympathy amongst the team. Yeah. So when somebody was having a really bad time, there was an expression of, of sort of empathy. So it's like group building. Yes. And it's also social. Like I, I sort of see, especially with like the amazing amount of like online gaming and, and like what Twitch has done. It sort of just reminds me of like, it's almost like social grooming. Like, yeah. you know, like it's, it's just such social animals that like even playing a game by yourself becomes something that you can do with so many people. I think that's so amazing. And I think it's really great. And then this kind of final point that I wanted to make about the impact psychologically, like neurologically of um, gameplay is it also, we've already spoken about sort of that sort of mind-body connection, but it also allows for your brain to stay really, really flexible. So it enhances this thing called plasticity, which mm. is your ability for your brain to sort of like quickly learn new things. Yeah. And so playing games is sort of like, I would argue, the sort of new version of like doing crossword or playing Sudoku, the things that keep your brain elastic and sort of like constantly problem solving. If you like playing games use that as a reason to play games. You know, it's like if someone's going like, oh, you shouldn't be playing games, go outside. You're like, no, 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 I'm enhancing my neural plasticity. <laughs> You're my neural net. <laughs> um, and I think that's really, really cool. You should probably go outside as but well. But also <laughs> like you need the sun, vitamin D is important. Yeah. But also maybe your video games are not innately harming you neurologically, but yeah. we need to think about the social the social yeah. aspect of this, the community aspect and there are there have been a lot of movements within the gaming community to make it a more positive space, yeah. to make it a more inclusive space. And like we're seeing that change all the time, all the time like with the um, especially with the the sort of that gender shift. Yes, the Gamergate that we described as sort of like the the typical example of that gamer bro explosion um, was that was like basically what is it nine years ago? Yeah, it was nine years. Yeah, ago. Yeah, nine years ago. So like that's a long time. A lot has changed since then. Yeah, um, and of course you know fucking hostile gamer bros are still in great number, but I think they're matched by a, a lot more in um, recent years. And so that's cool. Yeah. And I think that like Jim is a really great contributor to that of playing yeah. games and just making it a space where you can just, it doesn't have to be serious all the time. Yeah. It can be fun. And I think it can just be people enjoying a, a shared interest, which I think is really, really amazing. Playing Dark Souls, you know, <laughs> like a competitive, very difficult yes. slasher game. And Stardew Valley. Valley. Yes. <laughs> Which I think is really, really cool. I don't think we could convince him to play Sing Star on a Pink Space too. Oh, my God. <laughs> Although I, we should try. I do. Yeah, that would be funny. So keeping it on the theme of sort of like the psychology of video gaming and the psycholo psychological aspects of video gaming, you started us talking about gaming music. You really went into detail about it. It was really fascinating. But I think the thing that everybody wants to know, and by everybody I mean me, is why why is boss music 
That's the question. Why, Why is, is boss, boss music? music? <laughs> because I think that like, and this is something that we talk about even just generally in life. You have this thing where like you're maybe feeling very stressed and you like you're, there's boss music playing in your head. What yeah. What is happening there? Because that is not something that is like, we know that music has an influence on emotion, but like what is what is the mechanics of the way that music and gaming kind of interacts with each other in that sort of way? This is really cool because I stumbled across a whole area of research that I didn't know existed, um, which is basically like, neuropsychological musicology, um, which is basically like, what effect do music elements have on the brain? That's so fun. So, yeah, it's, that's a really hard thing to research because it's just so hard to Would isolate that be, okay. stuff. I think this is how it's done. Okay. I think... <laughs> give it a... Give, it a give, give me a reckon. Easy. I'll give you a reckon of how I think it's done. MRI tube, playing game music, seeing what lights up in the brain. That's how I think it's done. Yeah, so, so sometimes they do use, like, um, receptors and stuff. To, oh, like electrical receptors. Yeah, yeah, so that they can feel, like, a, um, an emotional response or an affective response. But the thing is, it's um, often more reliable just to get them to say what happened. <laughs> just to say, like, how did you feel just now? Mm. Um, might actually be easier. There's um, also there's also the studies where it's, like, you, you squeeze something in your left or right hand if you're feeling, like, happy, sad, Yeah, especially stressed. if you're only doing one dimension, like happy, yes. sad, rather than happy, sad, angry, anxious. Yeah, whatever. exactly. That's it's very like, difficult. It's like to... negative, positive feeling. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like there's, there's studies like that, which means that like you could be listening to a variety of stuff and have this, and then you get... Something worth bringing up here is like, so you said boss music, right? And yes. that's, we, then you mentioned the idiom of using that as, as a sort of like a metaphor for anxiety. Um, it's probably important to say that like when, when we describe emotions, we're describing how we interpret a physiological state. So... If you're having anxiety, you're having this like that raised heart rate and sweaty hands and mm -hmm. the cortisol. Yeah, the cortisol. The vagus stuff. nerve is doing whatever um, the vagus nerve does. And, um as we talked about in the diving episode, actually, um, the that's sort of is really similar to the flight or flight response. And if you're going down a roller coaster, <laughs> you're enjoying yourself, but you're having exactly the same feeling. If you're really, really excited for something, you're actually experiencing all of the same stuff as anxiety, but you're just calling it something different because you're interpreting it differently based mm. off context. Um, so, so context is key. Context is key. So that's an important thing when understanding emotions. So stress in video games, that's why when you can play a video game, kind of like a roller coaster, you can be really, really stressed. You'll be like, oh my God. Like when people go to war with me in Civ, yeah. it stresses me the fuck out. You get so stressed I get out. so overwhelmed. <laughs> you should not play horror shooter games. Um, no, <laughs> you should God. not play those. Um, yeah, so you, you you get stressed out, but you're enjoying yourself. Oh, yeah. You're having a fun time. So one of the neuropsychological benefits of gaming, add it to the list, is that it helps you cope with stress because you're experiencing that feeling, but you're coping with it because you, you know you can get oh. it. It's like it's fighting like a learned defeatism, basically. It's strengthening your I'll be okay neural sheath. Yes. Wow. Yeah, really cool. So you should, you should play... Games that maybe put you in a stressful state. Well, to put it another way, like challenge is a key part of what makes games interesting. Challenge helps us grow. Um, and it's not like all games. Like some games are just relaxing and fun. But like I mean, to be a honest, lot of games are very challenging. I do get stressed while playing Stardew Valley too sometimes yeah. though. So. And some people uh, find chess relaxing, but it's also very challenging. I don't find chess relaxing. <laughs> um, I don't play chess. <laughs> anyway, so in terms of like music, so what's... Science is not quite sure on this yet because this is pretty crazy stuff about like, because we're talking about like, oh, what musical elements cause what emotion? Like, can you imagine trying to isolate a musical element? Like, so let's say you want to find out, like as this study I found, um, 
Helen Mitchell, Plug Into Fear, from Music and the Moving Image, 2015. Um, <laughs> Citation and, voice. And she was um, analysing Dead Space 2, which is, um, I don't know very well, but it's a famous horror, very, very scary game, iconically scary game. Um, and trying to use, like, different ele- musical elements to um, create that effect. Okay. So when you say a musical element, we're saying, like, oh, maybe a rising strings or, like, sudden noise or... Increased tempo? Increased tempo. Which I we think, talked about in the episode, yeah, Space Invaders I was, gonna was bring the up. first... So Space Invaders was the first thing to use music to affect your mood as a player to create yeah. that feeling of stress and challenge. Because the more that they were on the screen, the more the music it was rose. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and it's so effective because you do sort of start feeling like your heart rate almost starts speeding up. Yeah, and like as we talked about in the music episode, we tend to match with music. We have this emotional relationship with music. You know, we want to play stuff that's in uh tune with our bodies and when we get emotionally affected by music that's happening in reverse like you're listening to a high-paced metal song and then that's making your heart race a bit faster and make you feel more alive so yeah that's that's kind of that's kind of really cool um so this is like a burgeoning field of understanding sort of this relationship between psychology music gaming and how all these fit in together and of course like game like this is one of those funny examples where science is like science is trying to figure out how this works but of course game composers know exactly how this works because they do it all the time yeah Um, why don't they just ask them why don't they just ask them (laughs) it's like obviously that doesn't help you understand the the physical psychology physiological processes um so so they did found a few things in the study, which I think is very interesting. So, like, we already know that fear and tension is triggered by harmonic dissonance yeah. frequently. Um, you know, so we, we actually talked about this in our last minisode, didn't we? Like, yes. um, the, the fact that babies can uh, hear, understand what dissonance is from as early as two months. Yeah, which is... And prefer nicer intervals and stuff. Um, so, harmonic dissonance is a big one in terms of, like, creating tension. Dun-dun. Yeah. Um, oh, those two notes together. Um, what about like the psycho? Oh, so that's so that's both of these. So the and the second one is is um, unexpected or sudden musical changes. Oh, so the same is the same effect is in psychological thrillers, horror movies. Yep. That sort of genre as well plays with these as well. Yeah, the, the iconic psycho, like yeah, like is yeah. Doing and then I that. think about like all the president's men and the way that it uses sort of this like kind of oh, like yeah. increasing like almost like discordant sort of like vi atmosphere yeah. to sort of get you get you in the mood or like um alien yeah using silence yeah that's a different approach a different approach um but so and okay this is the final thing that they know from from what creates fear and tension is that it's also sounds musical sounds that approximate the sound of humans screaming oh my god which is so chilling it's that's just horrifying. it's such a but psycho yeah yeah. It's, so it's high-pitched sounds, sudden, uh, distorted sounds. Yeah. There's a sort of stress to it. And so we instinctively respond with this sort of like, that's creating fear. That's, yeah. That's scaring me. That's um, fascinating. So they think the reason why this is is not because of some inherent thing around dissonance because, as we've talked about before, um, you know, there's dissonance in musical cultures. Some mm. musical cultures, like... Play with dissonance a lot. Play with dissonance a lot, and that doesn't sound like dissonance to them. It yeah. sounds normal. It sounds fine. Um, so it's probably more about uh, breaking expectations, which is why sudden noises do it, why a musical change that suddenly goes somewhere else, mm. um, and obviously the, the screaming sort of sounds. Like yeah. Like huge strings going up for a second. Like, yeah. Um, they make you scared because they're subverting your 
expectations. expectations. Yeah. And so that, that frightens you. And as we you. discussed in the mini, so that idea of like musical familiarity, creating a sense of comfort, then if you quickly change that, like you quickly jump from listening to a pop song to listening to some like intense, like Ethiopian jazz, it's <laughs> going to give you a sense of shock. It's going to jolt you. So yeah. yeah, I guess it's a really similar principle, but it's just like, and especially when you're sitting playing a scary game or watching a scary movie or something, and you're in the zone of wanting to be scared because you're committing to the narrative you're a part of, um, it's going. you're going to feel that emotion. Yeah, and I was about to ask, because obviously you're engaging in, in this willingly. You know that this is going to happen, yeah. especially if you're playing a horror game or something like that. Yeah. So, like, the idea that, like, you're anticipating it but that still doesn't make it any less scary is really fascinating to me because it's. I would assume that that would almost lessen the fear, but I feel like it makes it worse because the anticipation of something happening yeah. sort of strengthens then the the psychological impact of like that jolt of you a sound. You don't watch a sad movie to feel um, happy clappy most of the time, unless you're like sitting and watching it and taking the piss or something. But like if you're watching a sad movie, you want to be sad. Yes. Um, if you're watching a, like something fun, you want to- Yeah. If, you, you, if you're at a stand-up show, you you're more laugh. likely to laugh because you're there, you want to laugh. Yeah. So you're like participating in this narrative. And so when you're playing a game, you're doing the same thing. It's kind of doing half the job for you. And that's why music is so effective in films and it's so effective in games because yeah. it puts you into that zone and just affects your emotions so subtly that you it's find so much easier to immerse yourself in um, either the narrative or the game you're playing. Yeah, that is oh, that is so cool, and I I like the idea that this is they're still developing this, and so you know we might within a couple of years have even more knowledge about the mechanics at play psychologically because I think that that's so fascinating because as we've already kind of mentioned, there's almost like a cathartic element, uh, sort of like closing the stress loop element to all of this that if you kind of can understand how the emotion is feeling through your body, you're going to be much more easy to deal with it outside of a gaming context, which is another thing that gaming helps you do. It's, it's, it's kind of like, sto- it's like a, a different kind of story almost. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by that. Well, this has been awesome. Um, we ended up actually talking about things that we really genuinely had not occurred to us until we sat down to talk about it, uh, which is great. Um, thank you for tuning in. We'll have some more for you soon. Yeah. I'm certain that there'll be plenty of leftover note uh, pages from episodes to come. So thank you again for listening and take care of each other. We'll talk to you soon.